this week on Dig Me Out. Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back. It's the first episode of 2018. Did you have a nice New Year's break? I did. I uh, did a nice two weeks off, but uh, it quickly fills up with a lot of things you put off all year. Oh, yeah. Different chores and things you got to get done. So, But it was good. And then you start looking around the house and you're like, maybe we could reorganize that closet or... Oh, yeah. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. We got hit with uh, zero-degree weather here in Ohio for a couple of days, so it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we uh, we got the snow when we were in town, mm-hmm. and the day we left, it was, it was, uh, what was it, under 20, but it was the day after that I think it got down to, what's zero, seven, yep. something like that. Yep. Yeah, so we got just that we got out of town just in time. Yeah, there's literally days where we had stuff scheduled and I was like, cancel it, we're not going outside. Like I had a, I had like a visit to the chiropractor and I'm like, I'm not leaving the house. Tell him tell him we'll come back next week. Yeah. We've uh, entered into a new year, Jay. We have a whole bunch of Patreon listener suggestions to get to this year. Twenty seven to be exact. All Plus right. 10 episodes which will be votes by our patreon patrons and uh, that's both our 250 and our dollar level voters so from february to november they're going to be voting on uh, one of four different albums each month that came out in 1998 because this is 20 years on since uh, you know 98 so we're going to stick to 1998 each month it'll be four albums that were released 20 years ago and of course, we're kicking the year off with someone who has been a part of the show since the beginning. That's Mr. Gavin Reed. He has three picks this year, Jay, because he's he's won multiple <laughs> contests. He's like the Cleveland Browns of uh, yes. Dig Me Out. He, he is. He's got all the number one picks. And uh, <laughs> But he does a little bit better job with his selections. Has I'll, he been I'll trading say. with other patrons to... Uh, <laughs> Gather more more picks. Well, he won our year end contests at, at like in like 2013 and 14, so uh-huh. uh, he's grandfathered in till the end of the show till till we're done doing this. He's got two picks forever, and then his Patreon pick, which is this one, uh, is uh, you know on the books every year. So, and he he declined to join us for this episode. He's got another pick coming up. Uh, we're, we spread those out, so he's going to get these, you know, you know, in a couple months, and then in a couple months after that, he wanted to come in on another episode, which I'm not going to give away yet, but it'll be a good good discussion. Uh, so for this episode, we're doing an album that was on the USB stick, the famous USB stick that he sent to us back uh, seven or eight years ago filled with Australian rock that we didn't know about. And uh, it's a band called The Mark of Cain. 
Now, Jay, I'm I'm gonna guess that you are not familiar with the Mark of Cain, like I. I am not familiar with the Twist of Cain, but not the Mark of Cain. <laughs> exactly. Or Brother Cain. Or Brother Cain. Lots of Cain options when it comes to uh, naming your band. Didn't think about that. So Gavin gave us some notes on the Mark of Cain. He said they are one of the bands that are loved by bands, but they only sell in small numbers. The early CDs were hard to find, and I took ages to track them down. I ended up with a double album of Battlesick and the Unclaimed Prize. That's the two earlier albums. Um, there was an unusual. Theirs was an unusual sound for the time, and basically unplayable on all but independent radio. These days, it's easy to compare them to Helmet and Rollins, but I think the sounds of the bands developed independently of each other. By the time this album dropped, alt-rock was a thing, so these guys got a deal, and the delays that come with a more major label not really knowing what they had. An incredible live band with an intense intensity rarely matched. Although there has been a new album, I think their singer passed in 2016. Actually, it was their old singer passed away from cancer um, in 2016. We'll get into that in the history of the band and, and some of the comparisons as well. So, Jay, these, this band is basically two brothers, the Scott brothers from Adelaide, Australia. That's John and Kim Scott. They formed the band back in 1984. And so originally they had um, a guy named Rod Archer on vocals, but he ended up leaving the band after a couple years, and they went down to a three-piece. Now... Like I said, it's been the Scott brothers with a variety of drummers. In fact, they've had 15 different drummers since 1984. Now, here's the amazing part, though. Of those 15 different drummers, John Stainer, who used to be in Helmet, has been the consistent drummer since 2000. So all those drummers came between 1984 and 2000. Pretty nuts. Yeah. 1984. Wow. Yeah. So originally, I'm, I, I'm curious what they sounded like in 1984. Well, from what I read, a little more Joy Division sounding. Huh. Yeah. Okay. And they were. And I'm they intrigued. Were a, little more, a little more punk rock with yeah. uh, the original lineup. So they released a seven inch. Their first release was actually a seven inch in 1988. This was back when they were down to a three piece. So they had already trimmed the um, the, the guy who was just singing, and um, John Scott became the singer guitar player with his brother Kim playing bass. Then they released their first full-length record in August of 1989. That's called Battlesick. It was released on Dominator Records. And then they released their second full-length in March 1991. That was called The Unclaimed Prize. And those were re-released as one album uh, in the later 90s. They released an, an EP with Steve Albini producing... In June of 1993, that was also on Dominator, and that was called Incoming. And then Ill at Ease was released in November of 1995. Henry Rollins produced the album. And this was released released on Ruart, which was a major in Australia. Uh, in 1996, they released the album Rock and Roll, which was a remix album of previous songs by different artists. And since then, they've released... A compilation album called The Complete Recordings 88 to 89. That was in October of 1998. Um, they released This Is This in in uh, 2001. That was produced by Andy Gill of 
gang of four. And then after separated, they were separated for a while and then, or didn't release anything. In uh, December of 2012, they released the album Songs of the Third and Fifth. That was on the label Feel Presents. So Jay, that's the basic history of the band. They've they've worked with some interesting folks with Steve Albini, and then they ended up going out on tour with Steve Albini um, at a certain point. And then they also worked with uh, Henry Rollins and, and then Andy Gill of Gang of Four. So interesting group of folks that have worked with this band. No doubt, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about this record, Jay. And, and both Helmet and Rollins were brought up in Gavin's comments, and I think that those will come up in our comments as well. But first, tell me one thing that you liked about Ill at Ease by The Mark of Cain. I like when the band... Yeah, the helmet comparisons are there. I like when they um, kind of break from that a little bit and they get more expansive and progressive, I guess. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of songs on here where they get out of just the kind of the riff, the downtune riff stuff, and they and they play more chords. The guitar, there's more guitar melody, um, and there's just more differentiation between the the bass and the guitar mm-hmm. um, in terms of the riff. When they go in that space, I think they become you know, kind of ahead of their time. Um, they start to remind me of like kind of the um, uh, more the progressive or modern kind of metal hard rock bands like Mastodon and those sorts of things. Um, and I think they, you know, they sound heavy. They they are aggressive, but still original sounding when they're in that space. Um, so I've got like three or four songs when when they when they get there. Overall, the sound of the the guitars and bass, especially in that, I guess in those types of songs, sounds big, sounds full, sounds heavy. Um, uh, I think it all kind of clicks and works for me. Um, even mm-hmm. in, I guess vocally, I like. I guess I like the spoken word vocal better than the um, more the growl. So I think they get into these. A song like um, LMA, the last song on the album, for example, mm-hmm. it almost gets into a progressive metal slash uh, 
Lou Reedy kind of atmospheric feel that I think works pretty well. I think it's definitely uh, original for the time and something I hadn't heard before. Yeah, musically, it's it's really interesting because I heard, you know, in addition to the things that you mentioned about some of the more weirdly progressive or, or metal stuff that's outside of the Rollins and helmet comparisons, there was also stuff that reminded me of like the, you know, the, the late 90s emo hardcore sound that were not quite polished and they had a little bit more of a metal edge to some of the sounds and maybe some of because of the guitar tones and whatnot but there was definitely some stuff that i was like oh this is like almost they're almost getting into in in some respects like some like almost like that early cursive like really sort of sharp and and you know they're not like it's not polished in in the same way that like the domestica or ugly organ albums sound um and just some of the 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 weird cross-section of like where you know punk and hardcore and emo sort of mixed um especially with a lot of indie bands in the the late 90s there was a lot of stuff that reminded me of that here and there where when it wasn't so um you know the guitar drum and bass all locked in that like helmet crunching riff um but it was a, a lot of diversity in that which i i i think the first time i listened to it i was like oh okay this is just like helmet and then as i listened to it more and more i was like oh okay there's a little bit more going on than i'm i initially realized I don't know whether to take him seriously because we'll get into the lyrics a little bit. <laughs> Some of the stuff is like, it really pushes what I'm guessing is like, he's intentionally pushing buttons with some of the lyrics, but when he, when he like dials it down and he's not barking and he's he kind of, he doesn't really have a lot of range. So it's either like barking or talking or kind of the, there's not a lot of actual singing <laughs> right, right. On, on the record. That's where he's, he sounds a little bit more natural is when he's able to like sing speak as opposed to just yell things angrily at <laughs> at the microphone. <laughs> but yeah, LMA was a good one. That that has interesting sort of, you know, almost progressive sounds to it. The Contender is another at the end of the second to last track kind of has this like big epic like octave chord riff thing and it's it just sounds more expansive i think that's what i like when they go there um 
it goes from that super compact helmety sound, you know, it's the kind of thing. It turns into more of like a sweeping kind of feel that then the bass can then do. I think that's what I like the contrast that's introduced is then the guitars can kind of play more of a melody, but the bass is still locked with the drums and still doing that kind of, you know, very rhythm based, you know, heavy kind of baseline, you know, so you can mm-hmm. kind of have some contrast, which is nice. Yeah. And I like, I know I like the staccato stuff, the start stops and like all that kind of thing, but it can wear on you after a little while. And these are not short songs, you know, most, yeah, the shortest yeah. one is three fifty five, and and there's some songs that get up into the five, six, seven minute range. So, yeah. And I think a lot of, I mean, getting into the stuff I don't like that a lot of the songs, have a good minute and a half or almost two minutes of a uh, primary rift riff that starts the song and then it shifts to, you know, some yeah. start and stops and then it goes to a secondary riff that then it kind of evolves into the verse and they too many of them follow that pattern. Like, you yeah. know, it's going to happen. You're like, okay, I've listened. We, we listen to the primary riff for a minute and then it switches to the other one and then there's a stop and then it goes to the verse like, you start to recognize the uh, the formula, and it gets a little mundane uh, once you when, once you start to hear that. Yeah, I think the first three songs all have at least one minute of just riffing yeah. to start the song, and you're like, "Wow, all three of those songs could be a minute shorter. <laughs> they could be a minute tighter." Yeah, yeah. I the, the, musically, the only other thing that bothered me is like sometimes that snare hit. Oh, it was just yeah. a little too poppy. Kind of yeah, drilled in my ear. Yeah, I describe that as the uh, like it's the sound of a a mic right on a Pepsi can and you're flicking the can. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Just yeah. that like that harsh popping sound. It's, it's not quite n- a piccolo, but it's no. still got that like pop that like you hear it every single time. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I don't know what's causing a, it, but I had a big problem with that. To be completely honest, um, you know how I am when on stuff like that. Oh, I know. It, it, <laughs> I, I I spent time with this record when I was traveling, and maybe it wasn't the best way to to experience the record, like being stuck on an airplane for six hours or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, I was. I had I had I had my fill of that snare drum by the time I got through the first listen. Let's put it that way. Gotcha. So let me ask you, what did you think of John Scott's vocals in terms of the lyrics? We already just touched on his like delivery style, but were there did the lyrics pop out at you because they really popped out at me on a couple songs? Um, I just got like angry, angry guy lyrics. Like I didn't really go much deeper than that. Um, kind of stereotypical nineties, you know, guy angry at women lyrics, but yeah, I, but then there are some things that like, like track five point man is nuts. It's like about a guy leading a military outfit and he's Uh like rule number one, don't get close to your men. (laughs) Like what, what's going on? Like, why are you giving me instructions? (laughs) Like rule number two, there are three ways to die. And I'm like, oh my god, this is insane. I'm, but I kind of just embraced the insanity, yeah, of of what he was yelling at me and and talking 
about because it was just like it was so crazy. And yeah, there's a lot of like a lot of being angry at women. Uh, you let me down. I think for the last minute of that song, after telling after telling whoever let him down that they let him down, he just screams whore repeatedly at the end of the song. <laughs> I mean, it's nuts. That's that's crazy. I've never heard anything like that before. It is kind of cool in that song that when you get to that part, the the song it has a slightly different feel. Mm-hmm. Like it's about halfway through, it starts to feel a little bit more like ballady, if you can just describe that band that way. Right. Um. But I kind of I kind of like that dynamic aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when he starts screaming horror, I'm like, ah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I I had it playing in I was I was home by myself <laughs> and I had it playing in my living room and I like I already listened to the album a couple times so I knew like what was happening and yeah. I heard the garage door open and I'm like I got to turn this off right away. <laughs> you fumbled from the remote like you're watching porn. Yeah, exactly. It was essentially <laughs> that. I don't need my wife walking in while this guy's yelling, "Oh!" <laughs> Would have been oh, a little that's much. Funny. Would have been a little much. Yeah. You let me down. 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 You're just the same. You're just the same. Just the same, you're just the same as the others. You're just the same, you're just the same, you're just the same, you're just the same as the others. And that's why we came to tell you, took us for a ride, took us for the worst ride, we're going home alone. Otherwise, I I did enjoy his sort of angry, audible assault on my ears, you know, because in thinking back to Helmet, like I liked when Paige Helmet sang, but I hated when he yelled. Did you call him Paige Helmet? Paige Paige Hamilton. Sorry. (laughs) I like Paige Helmet better. (laughs) Hey, Johnny Helmet, why don't you play that riff again? (laughs) Paige Helmet. That's he should be. That should be his name. Paige Helmet. I know, right? No, Paige Hamilton. I like when he sings. I think he's got a good melodic vocal, but when like when we reviewed Strap It On years ago, like that record is dominated by his screaming and I did not care for that. Whereas most people know him from Unsung where he's singing on that song. So when you hear yeah. him yelling on the other songs on the album tracks, it's a bit jarring. So in terms of like this style of music, like I didn't mind his sort of guttural, you know, barking and and talking angrily at me. Um, 
It's the first time I think where we, you know, we've re- reviewed a lot of Australia bands, Australian bands, and for the most part, I don't pick up an accent when I hear them sing. Mm-hmm. I did hear. Yeah. Well, because he's he's talking so much, right? Yeah. Like it was the first time it became like apparent, like that, that uh, we were listening to a a band from Australia. So I thought that, that was just an interesting uh, observation from yeah. after seven years of listening to so many different Australian bands. Like, oh yeah, yeah, this band is from Australia. Let me ask you, Jay, this band attracted some interesting talent in the production side of things with Steve Albini, Henry Rollins, Andy Gill, all sitting behind the board. And that, that could be a, a matter of, you know, them getting paid well. But I don't think this band is, you know, this band wasn't on a huge label that was throwing money around. So obviously those artists would have to connect with the band and think, yeah, I can do, I, I'm interested in this band. I, I you know, Maybe they heard a demo and thought, you know, I want to work with them. Do you think that in retrospect that this band, you know, maybe could have made a dent in the United States based on, you know, Helmet and, you know, Rollins had a huge single with Liar, you know, in the mid 90s. You know, I don't think this this got any kind of a chance here in the United States. So, in you know, putting our, our time travel hats on or time travel pants or whatever you put on. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about uh, this band uh, making an impact in the U.S.? Was it pure? Was this purely a, you know, Australian product or... They have had some opportunity here in 1995. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that they could have a like a commercial, uh, even like to the in the way that Liar was kind of an MTV hit. Um, right. I mean, that's still fundamentally a pop song, I guess. Um, it's an, it's almost a novelty. Yeah, yeah. In that way, that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, there's nothing like that on here. Um, no. But I definitely think it could have fit in with uh, Helmet, Prong, you know, that sort of Romstein, all that stuff. I mean, I certainly think in the U.S. there was definitely a lot of bands that were, you know, headed in this direction and of this sound. And I think they were doing it biohazard. I mean, there were a bunch of them. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think there was definitely a, a scene here. Um, that would have been familiar for this band, you know, what, how big they could have gotten here. I, I don't know. Maybe none of those bands really were huge, but they've all maintained some kind of career since. I mean, I think they're all able to tour here and there when they want to and mm-hmm. make music. So yeah, I don't see why this wouldn't, wouldn't have worked here, at least at that level. You know, they had some shots. I mean, they toured with, from what I read, um, big black, which was Steve Albini's band. He took them out. In the early, he actually took them out in the U.S. Um, in the late '80s, when um, the first couple albums came out, "Battle Sick" and "An Unclaimed Prize," and I feel like he probably could have taken them out, opening up for Shellac, depending on how much touring like Shellac did in the '90s. You know, this is not that far off, and apparently they did some also some touring with like like Fugazi. I guess they opened for them, and. Hmm. Um, Killdozer and uh, Butthole Surfers at one point, but it was I think they was that was more of them when they would come to the Australia they would support them rather than 
them going out outside of Australia to tour. I don't know how much actual outside of Australia they did touring. We should get to we should, let's talk about our overall thoughts on this record, Jay. Uh, were the album better EP or decent single? To be a curious one, I'm curious where you're going to be at with this record. Uh, I'm at an EP. I, I um I need melody. You know, I I. I I do like different kinds of music. I love riffing. I love heavy music, but I need some, I need enough melody in there to hold me. And this doesn't quite have it. Yeah. Um, so the songs that do, um, I really latched onto and, and that, and that's about four. Remember me walk, uh, walk, walk away LMA and the contender were sort of the four that I really mm-hmm. tended to gravitate to. Um, uh, the, the rest didn't do a whole lot for me and uh, di- didn't differentiate them themselves amongst the, the bands that we've talked about uh, in that, at least in that material and uh, just didn't just didn't have enough uh, to keep my interest. So EP for me, you know, I'm of I'm of two minds about this record. I, on one hand, I would like to take a, an EP and put the craziest songs as far as his lyrics go onto like an EP and um, like pick the three or four that work. And then I'm also like, I would like to hear this as an instrumental record. Cause I could probably just yes. dig listening to this as an instrumental record. Yeah. I can hear a, that with a slightly different produced uh, drum sound. Yes. Yeah. Different production would be huge for me. And and I could, I could totally I could I could I would love to hear that at, honestly like re- produce it differently just from an engineering purely engineering standpoint get rid of all or most of the vocals and only keep maybe some spoken pieces here and there yeah and, and see what that is like because uh, I, I I do think that there could be I, I think they work better as to me a, an instrumental banner and a and sort of creating soundscapes and that sort of thing. So, so I guess I'm at an EP, but I could do an album if they completely change the album. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That's Gavin. Just change uh, everything. Yeah. If you just change everything, we'll, we'll be cool. Um, Gavin, this was an interesting pick. We thank you for bringing this to our attention. We're looking forward to your next pick. And then your pick after that because you have two more this year. And I want to remind everybody, if you're not already signed up, please join us over at Patreon. Just a buck a month, and you get bonus content. You get entered into our quarterly contests. In fact, someone just went home with, uh, or went home. They didn't come over to my house to get it. I shipped it to them. Um, They just uh, won the fourth quarter prize for 2017 then they took home the slater kinney white vinyl newberry comics limited edition record along with a copy of anthology of emo from tom mullen the volume one currently working on volume two so uh, all you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash dig me out join and of course if you like what you heard please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at itunes for jay i'm tim and we're out we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out thanks for listening 
To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. I want you to listen up very carefully. Because what I got to say may save a life. First thing, don't get to know your people too well. Secondly, there's three ways to die. The first is man-made. The second...